Well, I want to say good morning to those who are watching online, that are, those on our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching on television. We're thankful that you're here. Glad to see you here at our Sugarloaf campus. I tell you, if you ever wonder sometimes as a pastor, am I kind of on the right track? Am I talking about things that are very important? God has a way of reminding you. I did the funeral yesterday of a man, 57 years old, who literally dropped dead of a heart attack on Good Friday. I led this man to Christ in 1995. Uh, he was addicted to alcohol, and God so radically changed his life. His family was out of town, and God so radically changed his life that when they got back in town, he was actually sitting on the front steps of their house. He was so excited to wait, could not wait to tell them about how two nights earlier he had committed his life to Christ. And this morning, I talked to a widow of a lady whose husband died yesterday, I actually called him in my office Easter Sunday morning a week ago and talked to him. Uh, he was 62 years old. He grew up in a home that was totally unreligious, didn't know anything about God, knew nothing about the Bible. Uh, I uh, went and shared his wife started coming to our church, and I went to his home, shared Christ with him. He wasn't having any of it, but I asked him to read the Gospel of John. He began to read the Gospel of John, and God began to warm his heart until he was open and I got to lead him to Christ. And I say all of that for this reason. The series that we're gonna start today over the next three weeks may be, and I don't try to hype every series you know, that I do, but uh, as I thought about even what's happened to me in the last couple of days and having two men just un one, one for sure unexpectedly die, I've just been reminded of how important this series is. Let me kind of go back and tell you a story it was June the 28th, 1914. Archduke Franz Ferdinand was the heir to the Austro-Hungarian uh, uh, Austro Empire and his wife, Sir, uh, Fergie, or uh, Sophie, they were visiting Sarajevo, which was the capital of Bosnia. Now, there was a lot of unrest because Austria had actually annexed Bosnia and they were upset because um, they had been a part of the Serbian Empire for many years and he had heard there would be threats on his life. And they were traveling uh, in an open car and a Bosnian-born Serb terrorist threw a grenade at them and he missed, but he wounded several people in their entourage. Well, the Archduke and his wife were so concerned that rather than continue down the parade they were in, they decided they wanted to go to the hospital to check on his staff. Well, the driver, not knowing his way around very well, took a wrong turn and when he took a wrong turn, he ran into heavy traffic and he was stopped. He couldn't go anywhere. And he stopped right in front of a cafe. Well, it just so happened there was another terrorist there that was planning on shooting him, but didn't think he'd get the chance because he was on the other side of the city. Looked out the window of this cafe, could not believe his good luck, so to speak. Ran out with a gun, shot both of them, killing them both instantly. All because of a wrong turn. One wrong turn cost two lives. But in actuality, one wrong turn cost millions of lives. Because let me tell you why. That assassination was the spark that started the First World War. Ten million soldiers died in that war and millions of civilians. But more than that, it destroyed the dynasties and, and the empires of Europe that had kind of given that area stability. It gave rise to communism. It sets the stage for a man named Adolf Hitler, which ultimately led to World War II and 50 million deaths. And it all goes back to one wrong turn that a driver made 100 years ago. One wrong turn 
can cost you time. It can cost you money. It can cost you your job. It can cost you your marriage. It can cost you a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It can even cost your life. And that's why we're beginning today a series that I'm calling The Right Turn. Because I believe there are three areas where every person ought to make sure that they make the right turn. You better make sure you make the right turn in life. You better make sure you make the right turn in death. And you better make sure you make the right turn in life after death. And I'll tell you why, it's easy to figure this out. You better make the right turn in life because you only live once. We're only gonna live on this earth one time and we're not ever going to live on this earth as we know it again. So if you've only got one life to live, you don't want to waste it. Well, you better make sure you make the right turn in death because we're all going to die. We were never meant to live in this body or on this earth forever, and one day we're going to leave this earth. And then you better make sure you make the right turn for eternity because I do believe we're all going to spend somewhere, someplace forever. I don't believe this is the end. I believe there is more out there. So we're gonna take these in order because before you can die right, you gotta live right. And before you can die, before you can turn right after death, you gotta die. So it all begins with living right. I wanna talk about that today. Now it's true, let me just go ahead and make this point. You have the right to live life any way you wanna live it. And I know a lot of people have that attitude. Well, it's my life, I'll live it any way I choose. You have that right. What I want to tell you today is, I believe there's only one way to live right. I believe there's only one true way to get life right in this life. And it's more than just doing the right things or saying the right words or going to the right places or marrying the right person or going to the right school or getting the right degree or taking the right job. I believe the only way to live right is to be in a right relationship with the right God that gives life to begin with. Now, when that relationship is right, I've learned this in my own life, when that relationship is right, the result will be a life that is lived right. It's kind of like dominoes. If you get the first domino to fall, all the other dominoes fall in place. And by the way, if you want to know what the Christian life is all about, let me tell you what the Christian life is all about. It's not about going to church. It's not about being religious. It's not even about carrying a Bible around. It's not even about just kind of the words that you use and the things that you say. The Christian life really is all about, just to boil it down to its real essence, is simply about having a right relationship with the right God. Now, that's why I believe it is so important that those of us who claim to be Christians should not just say that we're Christians, we ought to show that we're Christians. I believe we not only ought to master the right life, we ought to model the right life for other people. Let me tell you why. In a world that is full of hyperbole and spin and exaggeration and hype, there's a postmodern generation out there right now. You can, you, you can see it. They are searching desperately for something or somebody that is real, that is genuine, and that is authentic. And let me tell you where we are today in our culture. If the church... And if those of us who say we are Christians in the church, if we're going to be taken seriously by the outside world, we better start living what we say we believe. 
We better start living right, not just talking right. We better start living right because people who are not followers of Jesus need to see in those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, the Jesus that we claim to follow. Now, the good news is there's one verse in the Bible, just one, that I believe captures perfectly what living right is all about. It is one of the very first verses I ever memorized as a boy. Well, it's one of my first verses that my mom told me, this would be a good verse for you to learn. And I learned this verse a long time ago. It is probably the most comprehensive, the most complete, and the most compact description of the Christian life you'll find anywhere in the Bible. It's found in a letter that a man by the name of Paul wrote to a bunch of believers in an area called Galatia. So if you have a copy of God's Word and you want to look on with me today, I'm going to be in a book called Galatians. It's actually a letter that was written to a church. If you don't know where it is, I'm going to help you. Split the Bible in half. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. You go to the New Testament. You'll go to the, you'll find four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You just keep going right and you'll hit a book called Galatians. And I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Now the verse that we're going to look at today is a very short verse, but it is not a shallow verse. As a matter of fact, I believe you find in this one verse all you need to know to constantly, consistently, conspicuously live right. Here's the verse, Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, let me just kind of give you a fair warning before we kind of jump into this text. This verse is paradoxical, but it's not contradictory. And there's a difference between a paradox and a contradiction. I'll get into that in just a moment. It is paradoxical, but it is not contradictory. As a matter of fact, when you first read it, you say to yourself, man, that seems like it's saying two different things. It really isn't. It's actually saying one thing. It's just saying it in three different ways. And we're going to have to believe three things are true. And we've got to live as if we believe those three things are true. If we're going to live right, life right and live life the right way. And Paul tells us right here in this little simple verse of Scripture, you want to live right? He says, okay, there are three things you've got to believe are true. And it's not enough just to say you believe they're true. You've got to live like you really believe they're true if you're going to live Right, okay, now keep in mind, if you're not a believer, Paul's not talking to you. Paul's talking to those people who claim to be believers. They claim to be followers of Jesus. He said, all right, number one, I must believe that I must die to me. I must believe that I must die to me. Now, the first six words are the bridge to the rest of this verse. Let's read them together, okay? I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, that's kind of a strange thing for Paul to say. Paul says, you want to live right? We've got to understand you, if you're a believer, you've been crucified with Christ. So in other words, the first thing you've got to realize every single day is this, okay? You can't start living till you die. You've got to live right. You've got to understand right now, you cannot start living until you die. Now, again, you say, that sounds contradictory. It's really not. It's paradoxical, but it is not contradictory. In other words, two people have to die in order for us to become a true Christian. In order for you to become a true Christian, two people have to die. And I know you already know one, right? Jesus had to die for you. He did that. 
But now you have to die to you. So if you're gonna be a Christian, if you're gonna live right, he has to die for you. You've gotta die to you. By the way, back in that, that verse where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. This won't mean a lot to you, but I'll teach you a little lesson about Greek. In English, the tenses are not that big a deal. We just kind of use tenses to either say past, present, and future. Greek is different. Every tense of a verb is very, very important in the Greek language. The verb there for crucified is not just a past tense verb. It's what we call a perfect tense verb. Let me tell you what that means. When a verb is in the perfect tense, it doesn't just mean it's referring to something that happened in the past. It means this is something that happened in the past, but it continues in the present and it's always true in the future. In other words, it's something that's happened in the past, but the results are permanently continuing right up to the present. So when Paul is talking about being crucified with Christ, he's actually taking us back to when Jesus Christ was crucified. Here's what he's saying. Whether you realize this or not, Go back to that time in your life when you gave your life to Christ. I'm thinking right now as a nine-year-old boy singing in that movie theater in Gainesville, Georgia, and I pray and I ask Christ to come into my life. He says, go back to that time in your life when you committed your life to Christ, when you surrendered your life to Christ. He said, at that moment, here's two things happened. You put your faith in Christ as your crucified Savior, but you also joined Jesus on the cross as a crucified sinner. You put your faith in him as he died for you on the cross, but then you join him on the cross as you died to you. So let me kind of make it real easy for you to understand. The first step to becoming a Christian is accepting Jesus' death for you. Now, you've heard that a thousand times. I know you understand that, okay? So the first step to becoming a Christian is accepting Jesus' death for you. However, the first step to being a Christian is experiencing your death to you. Now, I'm gonna make a paradoxical statement. I'm gonna say it again, okay? Living is all about dying. If I were to ask you today, hey, those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus, if I were to say to you, hey, do you wanna live for Jesus every day? I'm, everybody says, well, sure. I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus. I wanna live for Jesus every single day. All right, then you need to hear this. Living for Jesus is all about dying to you. Living for Jesus is all about dying to you. Here's what happens. When you give your life to Jesus, God takes the old you and he nails it to the cross with Jesus. By the way, in case you didn't know this, nobody ever got out of crucifixion alive. Crucifixion had a 100% death rate. Everybody that was crucified died. There were no exceptions. There were no exclusions. And when you allow yourself to be crucified with Christ, when you say, okay, by faith today, I'm saying I have been crucified with Christ. When you say that, then you understand you become dead to you. That's why I taught my boys growing up. If you boys want to live right, here's what I told them. I said, the first thing you got to do every morning when you, got up, when you get up, you've got to put self on the shelf. First thing you gotta do every morning, you gotta put self on the shelf. You've got to die to you. Now, dying to self is extremely difficult. It's not easy. Matter of fact, it's not even natural because when you die to self, let me tell you what that automatically means. That means everybody else comes before you. That means you put everything else and everybody else before you. In other words, when you die to you, 
You're no longer doing what most everybody else is doing. You're not trying to race to get to the front of the line. You're trying to race to get to the back of the line. And that's just not natural. That's not just, it's just not easy because we all are born with this tendency to look out for who? Yeah, number one, right? That's what we're talking about. Look out for number one. I love the story about the mother. I think I've told you this a long time ago. There was a mother who was fixing pancakes for her two little boys. Kevin was five years old and Ryan was three years old. Well, the boys began to argue over who ought to get the first pancake. So the mother, she's watching these boys argue and she thinks to herself, this is a great opportunity to teach them a great lesson about living right and how to be right and do things right. So she set them down and she said, now boys, she said, if Jesus was sitting here, you know what he'd say? And they kind of shook their head. He, he said, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. She was so proud of herself until Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. Now, that's what we want. We want everybody else to be Jesus. But when you accept Jesus dying for you on the cross, you surrender to dying to you on the cross. When you become a follower of Jesus and you're determined to live right, you say, Jesus, you died for me and I accept your death. But then you say, Jesus, I die with you and I accept my death. Because see, right now, you're living for one of two things, whether you want to admit it or not. There's never an in-between. You're living for him or you're living for you. You're living for what he wants or you're living for what you want. That's true of every decision you make in life. You're going to do what you believe he wants you to do. You're going to do what you want to do. So first of all, I've got to believe I must die to me. Everybody got it. All right, that's the first step. I, want to be, I really want to be a real Christian. I want people to see Jesus in me. All right, the number one, You've got to believe you've got to die to you. Then number two, I must believe that Jesus lives in me. I don't just believe I die to me. I believe that Jesus lives in me because here's the good news. You ready? I told you it's paradoxical now. Here's the good news. When you die to you, you don't stay dead. When you die to you, you don't stay dead. He continues. He says, I no longer live, oh, but Christ lives in me. So here's what happens. You give your life to Jesus, boom. The old you no longer lives because you've been crucified with Christ. However, as we learned again last Sunday, Easter Sunday, what happens is the new you has been raised with Christ. And that's what it means to become a really true Christian. Because let, let me give you some news here. And you already know this to be true. If you don't, you'll learn it real quick. If the new you is going to live, now listen carefully. If the new you is going to live, the old you must die. Say why? Because there's not enough room in you for two yous. There's just not enough room. One you can live and one you can't. Either the old you dies and the new you lives or the new you dies and the old you lives. There's not enough room in your house for two yous. I mean, think about it. You say, boy, pastor, that just sounds like a paradox. Listen, I got news for you. This is why some people look at us sometimes and shake their head and think we're nuts. Because the whole Christian life is a paradox. 
I mean, in some ways, I don't expect a world that's lost to understand what we do and who we are and what we believe. Because think about it. Let's think about it. Let me just give you some ways that, that I would understand why somebody would go, are you kidding me? For example, the world says the way to get is to grab. Jesus said the way to get is to what? Give. The world says the way to be first it's to be first. Jesus said, no, the way to be first is to be last. The world says, the way to be over, go to the top. Jesus said, no, the way to be over is to go to the what? The bottom. You want to be first in line? Jesus said, great. Here's how to be first in line. Get last in line. It is a total paradox. I, one of my great, one of my favorite authors I love to read is, and you probably never heard of him, great, great, great Christian speaker, lived many years ago. His name was A.W. Tozer. And he, this is a long quote, but I want you to listen to it. I want you to read it with me. It's one of the best things I've ever read about, about uh, uh, how, how, this, how he explained why the Christian life really is so paradoxical and why there's some people that look at the Christian life and go, I just don't quite get this. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, a real, and I should say Christian, C-H-R, so we'll correct that next time. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he's never seen. He talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of someone else. He empties himself in order to be full. He admits he's wrong so he can be declared right. He goes down in order to get up. He is strongest when he's weakness, weakest. He's richest when he's poorest. He is happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live. He forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. I read that and I thought, that is so true. You know, God has a poster, uh, uh, a, 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 a poster on every person that's alive. It's a wanted poster. But you know what God's poster says? Wanted dead and alive. Not wanted dead or alive. Wanted dead and alive. See, you cannot live until you die, but when you die, you live. Now, you may be sitting there saying, man, I am totally confused. I mean, I, I really need you to help me. All right, there are four words I'm gonna say to you right now, and I want you to listen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say them to you again, and then maybe you'll start getting it, okay? Paul said, uh, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But then he said four words. Christ lives in me. All right, say those four words with me. Ready? Christ lives in me. Let me stop right there. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. Christ lives in me. Now, let me tell you the secret. Here's the dirty little secret that a lot of people don't understand. Even it takes a while for a lot of new Christians to understand it and finally get it. If I were to ask many of you in this room, if I were to ask you in this room, hey, since you're only gonna live one time, how many of you wanna live right and get it right? I think I'd get a unanimous vote. I mean, nobody'd say, I, no, I'd, I'd just soon screw my life up. I mean, I don't think anybody'd say that, right? Yeah, I, I wanna live right, all right? Here's the dirty little secret. Everybody ready? If you don't hear anything else I've said, I want you what I'm about to tell you. You cannot live right on your own. 
Can't do it. The best of you out there, and we got some wonderful people in this church, the best of you at Mill Creek, the best of you here at Sugarloaf, the best of you watching right now, the best you are and the best you've got at the end of the day, you cannot live right on your own. Now you're sitting there saying, well, okay, if I can't live right on my own, tell me why and tell me how I can live right. Well, let me tell you why you can't live right on your own. You ready? You know why you can't live right on your own? Because you're not right. Even on your best day, you think things you shouldn't think. You do things you shouldn't do. You say things you shouldn't say. Maybe you go somewhere you shouldn't go. On our best day, we all, we all blow it. On our best day, we, we all fail. We're not right. So in other words, if I wanna live right, you know what I need? I need somebody who is right to live right through me. So here's the other dirty little secret. Nobody has ever truly lived the Christian life except Jesus. Nobody. Nobody's ever lived the Christian life except Jesus. Listen, the Christian life is not your responsibility. It is your response to his ability. I mean, just think about the word Christian. You ever thought about that word? It's actually a combination of two words, right? It is a combination of Christ plus in. What makes a Christian a Christian? Going to church? No. Being baptized? No. Reading your Bible? No. Praying? No. Giving money to the poor? No. Doing good deeds? No. Feeding the homeless? No. Those are all wonderful things. That has nothing to do with you being a Christian. Being a Christian is simply someone that Christ lives in. So in other words, living right is not you doing your best for God. Living right is God doing his best in you. The Christian life is not you living for Jesus. It is Jesus living in you. Christ lives in me. Martin Luther once said, when someone knocks on the door of my heart, I open it and they say, who lives here? I answer, well, Jesus Christ lives here. Inevitably, they will say, I thought Martin Luther lived here, to which I say, well, Martin Luther used to live here, but he died. He moved out. Jesus lives here now. And I thought, man, that's exactly, totally right. Christ lives in me. Years ago, former church I pastored, some of you remember, I served one of the best guys I ever served with. His name was Ashley Clayton. Ashley, this day, is one of my best buddies. In fact, uh, his son is, is a deacon here uh, in our church. And I just love Ashley, just a quick, sweet, quiet, gracious, gentle man. I just love him to death. Well, every time Ashley Clayton would pray, he would always close his prayer with, with, with something. And the first time I heard it, I thought, that's absolutely one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. And I, I repeat it quite a bit now. And so um, here's what he said. He would always close his prayer and he would say, if there's anything good in me, it's that Jesus lives in me. If there's anything good in me or about me, it's that Jesus lives in me. I did this funeral yesterday and I was coming out and there was a couple saying, I'd never met her before. They didn't go to our church. And uh, there was a couple, and, and they, he grabbed me and stopped me. He said, excuse me, uh, Pastor, could I have a word with you? I said, sure. He said, you don't know me, never met me, never met my wife. And he said, we, we, we live over, they live over in uh, another part of town. He said, we watch you, we've been watching you on TV for years. 
And he said, I, I just wanted you to know your, your ministry has changed my life. I, I know we've never met. He said, I, I, but I, I don't think I'll miss a program every six or eight months. He said, I'll watch it every single Sunday before I go to church. As a matter of fact, he said, I teach Sunday school and I don't mind telling you, I steal a lot of your stuff. And I say, hey, that's okay, man. My bullet fits your gun, you shoot it. But here's the check for royalties if you want my address. I just tease him. So anyway, he was, he was kind of being nice. And, and she said, yeah, you just do not know how, how you, you really changed the life of my husband. You know, he, he just, you've really touched him. And it was just going on and on and on. And when they got through, I said, well, can I just share with you one thing? They said, yeah, sure. I said, if there's anything good about me, it's that Jesus lives in me. I said, in fact, I'm gonna tell you something. If you take Jesus out of me, James Merritt's not worth shooting with a bullet. The only thing good about me is that Jesus lives in me because the only way to live right is to have the one who is right live in you. So you want to live right? Number one, you've got to die to you. You've got to believe that and live like you. I'm dead to me. I'm going to live like I'm dead to me. Number two, Jesus lives in me. Then Paul says something else. This is, where, this is where everything comes together because if this doesn't work, the rest of it doesn't work, okay? Yeah, I've got to believe that I must die to me. Got it. I must believe that Jesus lives in me. Got it. One last thing, though. I must believe that God is for me. I must believe that God is for me. Now, watch this. I'm going to, again, remember I told you it's paradoxical, not contradictory. I've already told you you got to die to you. Yep. I've already told you that Jesus lives in you. Yep. Are you ready? But living right is still up to you. It's okay. I, I don't understand. Well, you can believe that you're dead to you. You can believe that Jesus lives in you. But there's only one way you'll ever live up to that and live like it's true. And this is the way you do it. The life I now live in the body, I live by, what's that word? Faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now let's just go back. I've told you, you've got to live a crucified life. I've told you, you've got to die to yourself. I've told you that when he died for you, you got to get up on that cross and you've got to die with him. However, think about it. I just told you to do something that you can't do. So what do you mean? You can't crucify yourself. You, you can hang yourself. You can shoot yourself. You can stab yourself. You can drown yourself. You cannot crucify yourself. If you're gonna be crucified, somebody's got to crucify you for you. Paul said that can only happen by faith. Now listen carefully, this is so big. You become a Christian by believing that Jesus literally died for you. That's how you become a Christian. But the way you start being a Christian, you've got to believe by faith you have been crucified with him. You've got to believe the old you has died. You've got to believe the new you now lives. Because here's why. If an average person living in your neighborhood looks at you on the outside, you look just like everybody else. You know why? Because we live in a body just like everybody else. We live in the human flesh just like everybody else lives in their human flesh. You say, okay, what is the difference? Okay, here's the difference. 
Unbelievers live in the flesh. They live for the flesh. They live by the flesh. But a believer, he doesn't live in the flesh or for the flesh or by the flesh. He lives or she lives by faith. And when you live by faith, you take everything out of your hands and you put everything in God's hands. Now, here's the difference. The world lives for the flesh and the world lives by the flesh. So here's how the world lives. We look out for number one. We're gonna eat, drink, and be merry for after all, tomorrow we may die. We're gonna grab all the gusto that we can. If it feels good, we're going to do it. When we get to the end of our, of our life, we're gonna sing, we did it our way. It's my body, it's our body. I've got a right to do with my body whatever I want. That's exactly the way you'd expect someone to live that's living for the flesh and in the flesh and by the flesh. On the other hand, when you're living right, you don't live for the flesh or by the flesh. You live by faith. So guess what? When you live by faith, here's what you say. I don't have to look out for number one because God's looking out for me. You say, there's more to life than eating and drinking and partying and having a good time. Life is more than grabbing all the gusto you can and seeing how many toys you can buy. I don't do it my way. I do it God's way. I don't have a right to do with my body whatever I want to do with it because it's not my body. It is his body. And when you live by faith, that's exactly the way you live. Totally different, totally opposite from the way the world lives. And this is why this is so important. Because I know some of you are sitting there right now and you say, no, 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 wait a minute, Pastor, wait a minute. I got you. Everybody lives by faith. You say we live by faith. Well, everybody lives by faith. Well, yeah, you're right. People, I'm, I've got to fly out of town this afternoon. And I'm going to get on a plane with a lot of people who are live, get on that plane by faith, they believe it's gonna get them where they want to go. We don't know for sure it's gonna get us to where we wanna go, but we've got faith that the pilots are trained. We've got faith that the plane has been serviced. We've got faith that the jet engines will, will kick up. We've got faith that everybody knows what they're doing. We've got faith we believe we'll get there. People go to the drugstore every day believing by faith. that you know, have, you, have you ever seen a prescription written by a doctor? You talk about faith. But you actually somehow believe that when you hand that prescription to that pharmacist, he's gonna somehow with those hieroglyphics kind of discern what that is and give you the right medicine. We do it every single day. There are billions of religious people all over the world who exercise faith every day and they believe their religion is right. But Paul says, when you live right, yeah, you live by faith, but it's a different kind of faith. It is a unique kind of faith. It is unlike any other faith. You say, okay, wait a minute, I, I don't understand. Can you tell me how the faith of a believer is different from the faith of an unbeliever? Can you tell me how our believing is different from everybody else's believing? Yes, I can tell you how. You know why my faith and your faith, you know why it's so unique? You know why it's so different? You know why it's one of a kind? Because of who we put our faith in. In. Because Paul says, I live by faith. He didn't just stop, by, stop at that. If he said that, I said, well, Paul, everybody lives by faith. Oh, no, no. He says, our faith's different. He says, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me.
Now, let me just tell you, if you're still not convinced or you still have people trying to tell you, look, man, all religions are the same. We're all headed to the same place. You Christians have your way of getting there and we Buddhists have our way of getting there and we Hindus have our way of getting there and we Muslims have our way of getting there, but we're all kind of going to the same place. No, not true, because your faith is totally different from my faith. Let me tell you how. The Muslim cannot place his faith in a Muhammad who gave his life for him and loves him. The Buddhist does not place his faith in a Buddha who loved him and gave himself for him. The Hindu cannot place his faith in an idol who loved him and gave himself for him. But we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And the reason why we can live right and the reason why we can die right and the reason why we can be forever right is because of one thing. Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself for us. That's it. That's the only reason. That is the only way. So I'm just gonna kind of, kind of I'm gonna spoil the ending of all this series. I'm gonna go ahead and kind of give you the end, okay? If you were to come up to me today and you didn't know anything about anything, you don't even know what you don't know. And you came up to me and you said, hey, can you explain in a very simple way how I can live right and die right and be forever right? I would look at you and say, I can tell you in one word how you can live right and die right and be forever right. And that word is Jesus. I love the way somebody put it. They said the life that Jesus lived qualified him for the death that he died. And the death that he died qualifies us for the life that he lived. Uh, the life that Jesus lived qualified him for the death that he died, and the death that he died qualifies us for the life that he lived. So that's what living right really is. Listen, living right is not about, it's not even related to religion. It's about a right relationship with the right Lord. So in reality, you can kind of boil down all of the Christian life in one single sentence. It comes right out of this birth. Jesus gave his life for me in order to take my life from me so that he could live his life in me. You might want to write that down. That might want to come up later on. Jesus gave his life for me in order to take my life from me so that he could live his life in me. Now, here's my question I want to ask you right now. If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, here's my question. What do you need to die to today in order to live right? Is it your temper? Is it greed? Jealousy? Bitterness? Lust? A love of money? Selfishness? A desire to be popular and accepted? See, you cannot be a true believer and ever say something like this. Oh, I could never forgive them for what they've done to me. I'll never get over the bitterness that I feel in my heart toward this person. I just can't beat this drug habit. I just can't beat this pornography addiction that I'm under. 
You cannot say that. You absolutely cannot say that if this verse is true. Because you really can live and believe and believe as if you live and live as if you believe. You know what? I'm dead to me. Jesus lives in me. God is for me. Now, for those of you, and I want you to ask that question, what do you need to die to today? What's, what's keeping you from living right? And then for those of you who are you're not followers of Jesus, or, or maybe you thought you were following Jesus, but you were doing it for all the wrong reasons. I mean, look, you know why some people say they follow Jesus? I'm just being honest. You know, they just want fire insurance. Hey, I I prayed this prayer and I did this and I did that and I just want to make sure I don't go to hell. I want to make sure that I, you know, I get it right. I want to make sure that when this thing's over, I'm going to be in heaven. But oh, in the meantime, I want to live the way I want to live and do what I want to do. No, it doesn't work that way. Just doesn't. So if if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've tried everything else and how's that working out for you and it's not, my question is, are you ready today to die to you so that Jesus can live in you, so you can live right. So let me just close with this. I read this the other day. I never read this story, but this is a true story. There was a man named Sundar Singh, and he was traveling in the mountains up in Tibet with a Tibetan companion. It was a bitterly cold day. <coughs> snow was falling everywhere. These men had not realized that a snowstorm had come in, and they were already way up on their journey. There was no turning back, and they were so nearly frozen to death, they thought they were going to die. And, and, and as they were trying to make their way to the, to the city and they didn't think they were gonna make it, they stumbled over a man that was half buried in the snow. He was unconscious. He was almost dead from exposure. Well, Singh suggested that they stop and carry this man to shelter. But the Tibetan buddy of his said, no, we can't do that. We cannot take care of him. We've gotta take care of us or we will die. So while the Tibetan kept going, Singh instead bent down picked the man up with great difficulties. He put this man on his shoulders and he began to walk. Well, here's something amazing happened. Because of the exertion and the energy that he, was, that he was using to carry this man, he began to warm up. And before long, the nearly frozen man hanging on his shoulders, he began to warm up as the body heat from the other man began to warm him up. And they soon became on the body of the Tibetan who left, who had frozen to death by himself. They finally arrived at the village. The half-dead man man had recovered consciousness and they both lived. And the moral of the story was this. I thought this was so powerful. One man lived because he died to himself and one man died because he lived for himself. Now here's my question. There are two choices that we all face now and forever. We can live for ourselves and die to God, or we can die to ourselves and live for God. Which choice will you make today?